ESPN Radio. This is Harry Douglas. I am Chris Canny, and this is ESPN Radio, also on E+. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Canny call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. We want to hear your thoughts on Major League Baseball and the Players Association rejecting the latest proposal from the owners. And, Harry, yesterday there were 16 hours of meetings because yesterday was the deadline that the Major League Baseball owners had initially set out before they threatened to cancel games. The two sides agreed late last night that they would extend the deadline until 5 p.m. today. They resumed meetings at 11 o'clock, and it seems as if the players rejected the proposal that the owners had. So the owners did not change uh, in terms of their competitive balance tax thresholds. And then, of course, when it comes to pre-arbitration bonus pool, they've, they suggested 25 to $30 million and having an annual increase um, the length of the deal, and the players wanted that money to look more like $85 million in the bonus pool and go up $5 million each year. Both were non-starters for the owners. And then, of course, when it comes to the minimum salaries, they wanted to move that from 675000 to 700000 and moving up 10000 per year of the deal. Those figures, of course, being based on increase to 12 postseason teams as opposed to the 10 right now. And so it's a sticky situation and it feels as if we're headed down the road where the baseball season isn't going to get started on time with their March 31st opening day as scheduled. Yeah, and it's, it's sad for baseball. It's a very, very sad day. And, Chris, we, we left somebody out when we mentioned uh, the people who suffer from this, right? I just mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I touched on it. People who work at these ballparks, who count on this, those hours, that money to, to help provide for their, their families – those people are missing out as well. They're taking a hit because now they don't have that that income to count on to do things family-wise, to pay bills and things of that stature. So those people are losing out on this. And it's just a bad day for baseball, a sport that's so glorious to you. I know you love baseball uh, and myself, but I'm trying to figure out at what point, at what point is Major League Baseball and the Players Union, are they going to be able to – uh, get on one accord and get baseball rolling. And that's up. That's the question right now. That's up in the air. Yeah, it's unfortunate, Harry. I know you're a diehard Atlanta Braves fan. I, I grew up in the Bronx, so of course I'm a Yankees fan. And the thought of not having baseball there as we move through the spring and summer. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm locked into every single baseball game. I don't watch all 162. But I am well aware of what's going on with my team, and I watch – the majority of the games throughout the course of the season. And the comfort of baseball always being there every single day, knowing you can turn on the TV and watch your team, and that potentially going away, at least for the start of the season, that's tough, man. I mean, as we're moving through the the stretch run of the NBA regular season and gearing up for the playoffs, it's like that's the time of year you generally get excited about seeing what your team is going to look like after hot stove in the wintertime in the baseball offseason, seeing what this version of the Yankees is going to be and whether we're finally going to be able to get over the hump with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton together, seeing what the Atlanta Braves are going to be and whether or not they can defend their title. Those are going to be huge storylines for the baseball season, or at least they should be. And now we're talking about whether or not the season's going to start on time 
and whether or not we're going to actually even have a season. And you're right, Harry. You brought up something in last hour, and I think it merits revisiting and reiterating. Last time Major League Baseball had a work stoppage in the mid-'90s, the thing that brought the sport back to prominence was the home run chase for 61, Roger Maris's record, the former Yankee, 61 home runs in one season, and it was McGuire, and it was Sosa, and then eventually Barry Bonds. That's the thing that brought baseball out of the depths, and everybody was locked into it. Now, I know it was since marred by the steroid scandal, but that was the moment that brought baseball back under Bud Selig. I don't know that you're going to have that if you're talking about a significant work stoppage this time around. I don't know that the fans are going to bounce back. I don't know that you're going to be able to appeal to the younger demographic, which is something that you said was important to you if you decide that you're going to follow through and the two sides remain at a stalemate for a significant portion of this season. Those are the concerns that I have as a lifelong baseball fan, man. It's not good for the sport. It's not good for the players. It's not good for the owners. And yet, they continue to go through this this public discourse and bickering back and forth and losing sight of what matters the most, which is appealing to your fan base and taking care of the industry of baseball, which, as you mentioned, those concession stand workers and the people that own businesses in and around these ballparks. It's a sad state of affairs for Major League Baseball, and, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they can find a way to be able to work this out so we get the majority of this season in. Yeah, and I know we're going to hear from Rod Manford. He's going to speak, and we're going to listen to that. But, man, I want to hear from players as well. I want to, I want to hear their side of things and, and get things from their perspective so we don't just have – Harry, Harry, we, Harry I hate to cut you off, but we got to go out to Rob Manford right now. He's about to give his uh, address to the media following the players rejecting the latest proposal from the MLB owners. Let's take a listen. games. We worked hard to avoid an outcome that's bad for our fans, bad for our players, and bad for our clubs. I want to assure our fans that our failure to reach an agreement was not due to a lack of effort by either party. The players came here for nine days. They worked hard. They tried to make a deal. And I appreciate their effort. Our committee of club representatives committed to the process. They offered compromise after compromise and hung in past the deadline to make sure that we exhausted every possibility of reaching an agreement before the cancellation of games. So far, the parties have failed to achieve their mutual goal of reaching an agreement. The unfortunate thing, maybe the most unfortunate thing, is that agreement, the one we've offered to our players, offered huge benefits for our fans and for our players. We have listened to the Players Association throughout the process. A primary goal of the Players Association has been to increase pay for younger players. I said in Orlando, and I'll say it again, we agree and share that goal. We offered to raise the minimum salary to $700,000, an increase of $130,000 from last year. We offered to create an annual bonus pool of $30 million for our very best young players. In total, we're offering nearly a 33% raise to almost two-thirds of Major League players, 
and we're adding more than $100 million annually in additional compensation for this younger player group. The proposal also addressed player and fan concerns about issues like service time and competition. Baseball would for the first time have a draft lottery, the most aggressive lottery in professional sports. Also, for the first time ever, we agreed to an incentive system to encourage clubs to promote top prospects on opening day. We also proposed that the first and second place finishers in rookie of the year voting in each league would receive a full year of service no matter how long they were in the major leagues. The MLBPA asked us to make free agency more robust. For the first time ever, we agreed to eliminate draft pick compensation, a change that the MLBPA has sought for decades. On the competitive balance tax, we offered a significantly larger first year increase than in the last two agreements, bearing in mind that the competitive balance tax is the only mechanism in our agreement that protects some semblance of a level playing field among the clubs. The international draft would have more fairly allocated talent among the clubs and reduced abuses in some international markets. We also listened to our fans. The expanded playoffs would bring the excitement of meaningful September baseball and postseason baseball to fans in more markets. While we preferred the 14-team format, when the format became a significant obstacle, we listened to the players' concerns and offered a compromise by accepting the 12-team format. Finally, we offered a procedural agreement that would allow for the timely implementation of sorely needed rules like the pitch timer and the elimination of shifts to improve the entertainment value of the game on the field. And we agreed to the universal DH. So what's next? The calendar dictates that we're not going to be able to play the first two series of the regular season and those games are officially canceled. We're prepared to continue negotiations. We've been informed that the MLBPA is headed back to New York, meaning that no agreement is possible until at least Thursday. As such, camps could not meaningfully operate until at least March 8th, leaving only 23 days before the scheduled opening day. The clubs and our owners fully understand just how important it is to our millions of fans that we get the game on the field as soon as possible. To that end, we want a bargain and we want an agreement with the Players Association as quickly as possible. You gonna do them or am I? It's Harry Douglas okay, and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and you're listening to Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred's press conference after the MLBPA officially rejects MLB's final proposal. We never used the phrase last best and final offer with the union. We said to them that it was our best offer prior to the deadline to cancel games. Um, our, our negotiations are deadlocked right now, um, but I'm not going to get into, you know, that's different than using the legal term impasse, and I'm not going to do that. If it's not your last best and final offer, why would they have accepted 
Yeah, there's, look, I think that um, take it or leave it in a negotiation is not something um, that uh, I think is usually productive. I think always at the end, um, there's a little wiggle room somewhere. And um, I, I think that we like to keep the idea um, that we're willing to go back to the table and figure out whether we can make an agreement. Coming up next, more reaction from what we just heard from Commissioner Rob Manford. You're listening to Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. It's Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at ChrisCanny99 and at HDouglas83. And Harry, right now, we got to go to the Canny call-in line because we have ESPN MLB writer June Lee on to help us react to what we just heard from Commissioner Rob Manford and the MLBPA and the Major League Baseball owners failing to come to an agreement when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement. So, June, the biggest takeaway from what Rob Manford just said right now, he addressed a myriad of different issues, but your biggest takeaway from what he said as far as how the negotiation went and where we can expect Major League Baseball to go from here. It felt like it was inevitable that it was going to get to this point because, of course, the last couple of years, I think the resentment among the players towards Rob Manfred and the league has really built up because of what happened in the last CBA negotiations and how the middle class of baseball player has basically disappeared and how the average salary for major leaguers has gone down uh, as well. And so we're at a point where the players are willing to give up their salaries in order to make sure that more major league veterans, guys who aren't the superstars, you know, Fernando Tatis, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, who are going to get hundreds of millions of dollars on the market, not those guys, but guys who are 70 year major league veterans are getting three years, you know, 21, $50 million contracts. Uh, and, and the question now is who's going to blink first, the owners or the players. Um, it's a matter of whether or not the players are, going to lose enough money to want to come back uh, and, and make some concessions or whether or not the owners are going to want to make some concessions as a result of their franchise values going down as a result of missing games and the overall product of Major League Baseball taking a massive PR hit. Yeah, June, you heard Rob Manford say that there was no talks um, saying, hey, this is a take it or leave it deal. This is our best offer. You want it. If not, we're done. How important was that? Uh, for the players to be able to hear? Uh, it was a situation where, um, you know, I think the players are trying to call a bluff on whether or not Manfred is in, in the league and the owners are calling this the last possible offer. Um, they're still so far apart on a lot of the core economic issues of the sport, um, where it's, the, the gap is just way too big for them to bridge at this point. And while there was some momentum last night on basically the frosting on the cake, the, the core of it, whether or not it's vanilla or chocolate, um, is basically what the players are, are fighting and the owners are fighting over at this current moment. So um, I think that this is just a, another negotiating tactic that the league is implementing um, in, in the way that they have locked out the, proactively locked out the players and proactively canceled games because the owners and the league are making a choice here to cancel games. They don't mm -hmm. technically have to do that. This is a decision that they're pro proactively making on their own. You're, talking, you're hearing ESPN MLB writer June Lee 
talking with Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio in June. I think that point is one that needs to be made. It's not the players that decided to force the work stoppage. It's the owners. They have effectively locked them out. And you heard Rob Manfred say that he expects the player contingent from the MLBPA to return to New York. And he said that the earliest that we would be talking about another agreement would be Thursday or Friday, which would put people returning to spring training at March 8th. And the expectation is that the first two series of the major league season are going to be lost. Do you expect that that's all the games that are going to be canceled? Or are we talking about more games being canceled on the horizon? I mean, I've been pessimistic, but the season's starting on time for about a month and a half now. I've been saying that on a bunch of shows on, on ESPN. Um, I, I had May 1st, like six weeks ago, as the potential starting date, just given the tenor of the conversations and the urgency from both sides. Uh, but I'm currently getting more pessimistic on that just because the league publicly was saying that, you know, after all the quote-unquote strides they made last night on the frosting of the cake, uh, you know, that the offers that the, the union made today were a step backwards. And so it really feels like this dance that, that's happening between the league and the union where, you know, w- one side is taking a step forward and then we take like two steps back. And so how long this, like, this dance continues uh, is going to be up to who feels the urgency and the desperation the most to get a deal done and who feels like they're losing money more, uh, you know, in, in this in this kind of lockout situation with no games happening and no fan revenue, you know, no tickets being sold. Um, you know, ultimately, that's what, what this comes down to. And it sucks for, for us baseball fans because uh, I, I just want baseball to watch. I just want to enjoy the summer and, and enjoy a hot dog at the ballpark. June, I'm right there with you. And just a quick follow-up to what Rob Manfred said. I, I know they addressed the service time. They were talking about increasing the average salary for players for two-thirds of the league. But competitive balance tax has also been a hot-button issue for the players in this negotiation. It's been something that the owners have been unwilling to move on. And we know that owners have been using the luxury tax threshold as a soft salary cap. So are we going to see any movement with any agreement that the players and owners come to with a new CBA on that front? I mean, this is the core economic issue that the two sides are far apart on. And I think it it basically sticks to the core of the player argument about why they feel the desire uh, to kind of stick this out and and try to catch the owner's bluff because because of the soft salary cap, because of the luxury tax, um, a lot of teams are now incentivized to not try to win on a, on a year-to-year basis because they're incentivized to lose and get a number one draft pick and build up their farm system and try to, to feel the cheapest team, the cheapest but best team possible, which is done uh, through the draft versus through free agency now. Uh, and so I, the players are in a position where they're basically clay, uh, declaring that they want these uh, you know, small market, quote-unquote small market, mid-market teams that still you know, help break in billions of dollars every single year from Major League Baseball to actually spend the money that they're getting from revenue sharing uh, in order to, to field more competitive teams and ultimately create a better product for for fans and all of us to watch on, on a day-to-day basis during the summer. More teams that are more competitive, more you know teams competing for playoff spots. That's, spots, that's part of why they're, they're expanding the playoffs. Um, the, the players are, are trying to get the teams to spend more money uh, to be competitive on a year-to-year basis, which just hasn't been happening over the course of the last CBA. Well, June, we appreciate a few minutes of your time getting us up to speed on this latest rejected proposal from the Major League Baseball owners and what that means for the start of the baseball season. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again real soon. Appreciate you having me on, Chris and Harry. That's ESPN MLB writer June Lee getting you up to date on the latest when it comes to the MLB CBA negotiations. But coming up next, 
Could Kyler Murray really force his way out of Arizona? Well, one ESPN reporter seems to think so. We'll have who that is on the other side of this break. It's Harry Douglas and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. He is Harry Douglas. I am Chris Canny, and this is ESPN Radio. Also on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 and E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Candy call in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And, Harry, it's Fat Tuesday, but it also is big problems out there in the desert with the Arizona Cardinals and their franchise quarterback, former number one overall pick Kyler Murray. The relationship has become contentious, adversarial, all the adjectives that you want to use to describe bad. That's where the relationship is right now between the quarterback and the organization. Kyler Murray wants his money, also to the point where he's willing to have his agent put out a statement for public consumption detailing the fact that they reached out to the Cardinals brass to try to initiate contract negotiations, and those talks went nowhere. So, Harry, as far as... Kyler Murray's method. Where do you stand on what Kyler Murray and his camp are doing in lobbying for a new contract? Yeah, I just don't think it's the right way to go about the whole ordeal. Uh, I want a new contract because if, when you look at a guy like Kyler Murray, has he been a, a bright spot for that organization? Yes. Hasn't he? Has he brought life back to the Arizona Cardinals? One hundred percent. Now, when you look at a lot of those other quarterbacks that are in the same position, that have been in the same position as Kyler Murray, I would take a guy like Josh Allen. I'll start with him first. Josh Allen led the Bills to an AFC championship game, right? And then that same season, he was fifth in the NFL, over 4,500 yards, 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, completing 69% of his passes. And then I go to the next guy, Patrick Mahomes. Well, Patrick Mahomes won a Super Bowl. And then in his first year as a starter, he got to the AFC championship game. So the next guy I'm going to go to is Deshaun Watson. Now, remember in 2019, Deshaun Watson, uh, they played the Buffalo Bills at home. And remember Deshaun Watson in that game, he pulled out his magic wand, and for some reason he turned into Houdini and -hmm. made a hell of a play in that game and led them to that win. Not to mention they were up 24 to nothing against the Kansas City Chiefs in that game as well. Then I go to the next quarterback, Jared Goff, 2018. Well, Jared Goff, Lost in the Super Bowl to the New England Patriots. But that same season, he threw for over 4,600 yards, 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, completing 65% of his passes. That was fourth in the NFL. And the last person I'll leave you with is Carson Wentz. That was the season that Carson Wentz, uh, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but he got hurt. But he was playing at an MVP caliber level before he got hurt and played a major part in the Philadelphia Eagles getting to the point that where they did. Now, Nick Foles took over and he won a Super Bowl and a lot of people were saying that, okay, Nick Foles is the guy, is it Carson Wentz, that whole ordeal. But Carson Wentz also was not a leader. So I'm not going to really put him in that category uh, with Kyler Murray because he got shipped away because of the lack of leadership in his play. So I'm saying all this to say when you look at Kyler Murray, yes, he has been great for this organization. But all those guys I just named, at minimum, have a playoff win. Now, I would say max, most of them have been to a Super Bowl. So when you look at it, is he in a position right now to be demanding anything? And I'm going to say no. I'm going to answer my own question. I'm going to say no. 
Well, Harry, right now we got to go to the candy call-in line to bring on ESPN NFL reporter Diana Rossini. And Diana, you made some waves today on NFL Live when you said that Kyler Murray could force his way out of Arizona. How realistic is that possibility if the relationship between him and the Cardinals continues to devolve? Well, you got to look at it as that's, that's the next step, right? So they're putting all the pressure on ownership in late February, early March here to come up with this contract extension. You know, and, and from what I can gather talking to his side on this, this is about commitment. And, you know, when you hear commitment, guys, don't you hear money? You yes. Know, that, that to me is commitment, right? And that, they're going to tell you that's not what they're looking for, um, that they really just want a deal to get hammered out to show the same thing. The analogy was used much like I think we use a lot in sports. You know, you can only date me for so long before I'm eventually going to ask for the ring. And and Murray's camp wants the ring. And I'm going to guess they probably want a really big one too. And, you know, the way they've gone about this has been so unique. I, I've been covering the league for about eight years, and I've, I've never seen it go this way where you have a very public display of – uh, sort of negotiation through an agent. I've seen players do it, but not the way Eric Burkhart, his agent, is doing right now. But they seem to believe that this is going to work. And so I think the timeline is going to go here. They're going to give the Arizona Cardinals a few weeks to gather, figure out what they want to do. And eventually, I think this leads to what you're saying, Chris, they're going to most likely ask for a trade if they don't get what they want. That's, that's how this works. Well, uh, Diana, Chris brought up something earlier to me is that when you see the NBA and you see guys forcing trades now, football guys are now trying to catch on to that phrase or catch on to, to their doings and do the same thing in the National Football League. Now, in me saying that, do you think at some point the owners are going to get together and say, you know what, we're going to take this league back over. We're not going to allow these things to happen that allow in the, that, that, that allow in the NBA. It's funny, right before I uh, called into the show here, I was making a phone call to a head coach at the Combine, and I actually said I have to get off the phone to talk Kyler Murray. And he said, oh, you mean our league now that is trying to be like the NBA? <laughs> and, you know, uh, I, I laughed, and, and, you know, he obviously has no say in any of this. But, um, you know, I think that's a, a funny kind of way to look at it. Or not funny, but a, a, an a correct way to look at it because I think that's kind of how that's the direction this can go in if owners don't sit back. I remember talking to the great Bill Parcells about contract situations. Um, I think it was back when Odell Beckham was a New York Giant. I had called to pick his brain about what he thought the New York Giants could do. And I just, his perspective on it was so interesting, was so um, set and almost um, very old school because that's just the way organizations were always run. Um, and I'm not sure if it's ever going to progress and change, but I know his view of it is very similar to what I think a lot of owners and GMs in the league see it as well, which is, you know, players deserve a certain amount of money and should, but have to honor contracts. You can't, you can't demand your way out of things. You can't ask for that. We own your rights. Diana, really quickly, I was talking with Dan Graziano this morning, and he mentioned the fact that quarterbacks that get extended after their third season typically have to wait till later in the offseason before 
they get those extensions hammered out. It usually doesn't happen at the start of the offseason. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen at the very beginning of the league year. I'm wondering how much of this escalation from Kyler Murray's camp has to do with the overtures made from his agent to the front office about negotiations and that potentially being shut down by the Arizona Cardinals brass. Well, Dan makes a good point about the timing, right? We all saw Patrick Mahomes when he was in his fourth year. He got signed, I think it was mid-July. Actually, no, it was the first week of July because I remember it was the fourth of July week. Um, you know, it's Patrick Mahomes we're talking about who, you know, you can make an argument that should have been done earlier to, to ensure that he's not going anywhere and there's no question about him being the future. Um, I, I think we could dissect the reasoning for this a lot of different ways and, you know, perhaps maybe this is an avenue to get out. Maybe this is Kyler wanting to get out of Arizona. Mm. Um, I know he's got a fantastic relationship with the head coach, um, you know, which I know many believe is a lame duck, but from what I can gather, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is, I think Arizona's committed to him, and I'm, I would not be surprised if his contract gets extended soon. Um, so I'm not sure if this is Kyler's own, you know, unhappiness in Arizona. You know, Keyshawn Johnson was on the show with me today on NFL Live, and, you know, he said that he had heard that, you know, and, and look, it's, it, you don't, you don't want to throw around characterizations of people and characteristics that you don't know about. But, you know, he was saying that there's some people in Arizona in the locker room that don't like him. You know, we've heard this a million times in every, in every club, uh, the unliked quarterback. So um, I do think he's not perfect. I know that. I know even from talking to people close to Kyler Murray, he is not perfect. And he has his flaws. Um, and I, I do think ownership was a little concerned about some of his leadership. Um, but when you do look at performance, and guys, you know better than anyone, this is a performance-based sport. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Arnold are a much better team with Kyler Murray under center. You just have to wonder, though, do they want to commit to a running quarterback? That's what, I mean, I could probably stay on the phone with you guys for another hour talking about that. Is that worth it, right? Because there's got to be some concerns there. This is a mobile quarterback. Um, they're not getting the same prices as a pocket passer um, because of the concerns of injury. So, um, yeah, I think I think the agent's thought process here is let's get this going now. We, you know, we had a little issue recently, but let's fix that. And the best way to fix that right now is show commitment and let's make this work. I just don't necessarily totally agree with the way he's doing it, but in his belief, he thinks this is going to get the job done. Diana, we always appreciate you coming on the show and keeping it a buck. I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon about the ongoing saga in the desert with the Arizona Cardinals and their franchise quarterback, Kyler Murray. Appreciate it much, friend. Thanks, guys. I'm headed to Indy where all the gossip happens, so hopefully I'll have some good juicy stuff for you. <laughs> all right. Week. Have a shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's for me, too, while you're at it. I'd appreciate that. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Thanks, guys. <laughs> all right. That's ESPN NFL reporter Diana Reseda giving us the latest on the Kyler Murray saga. And we want to hear from you on the candy call-in line. Triple H say ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Coming up, your calls on what you think the Cardinals should do with Kyler Murray. That's next. You're listening to Harry Douglas, Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and E+. We gave you guys the question, what should the Cardinals do with Kyler Murray? You're calling in with the answers, and we want to go out to the candy call-in line and bring on Hugh in Michigan. Hugh, you're on ESPN Radio. What you got? Yeah, this is Hugh in Michigan. Yeah, I think uh, 
that uh, the Cardinals got a uh, – they may not have a top-10 quarterback, but they got at least a top-15 quarterback. Many, many teams in the NFL would love to have him. For instance, uh, um, Indianapolis for sure would love to have him, and a lot of teams like that. San Francisco might even like to have him. Hugh, I'm with you. I think Pittsburgh Steelers would love to have Kyler Murray too. That's one that's been thrown out of there, and that's a position of need for that team. I think Kyler Murray is a top 10 to 12 quarterback, depending on how you want to rank him, what your flavor is. To me, he's a top five quarterback in the NFC, which is good enough to be able to win your conference. And so, Harry, when it comes down to whether or not the Arizona Cardinals should consider entering into contract negotiations with Kyler Murray, I don't even think that's a question. I think that's something that you have to do, even if you don't acquiesce to his demands. Yeah, Chris, it's not like quarterbacks are just flying around and you could just, hey, I'm going to pick this one. This one's going to come on my team. We already know it's hard to come by. And if you're a franchise that has a quarterback, you do everything to keep that guy. Yeah, so when it comes down to it, it's all about relationship capital, right? How do you relate to your quarterback, both the general manager and the head coach? That's a responsibility. That's a part of the job description. We have sound from Cliff Kingsbury at the Combine talking about Kyler Murray and whether or not he's been in touch with his star quarterback. I have not. You know, I think all of our long-term goal here is to have Kyler be our our quarterback, and he understands that, and he understands my um, view of him and and how I feel about him. And um, once again, I'm going to refer it back to the business side of things, and that's not something that I I deal with. But um, it's all part of the business right now and and things that we'll continue to work through. Harry, and you know as a player in this league for a really long time, the business side is the ugly side of professional football. But the one thing that Diana Rossini said when we had her on the show a segment ago was that a lot of people think that Cliff Kingsbury could potentially be on the hot seat. And I'm wondering if Kyler Murray and his representation look at this as the most opportune time for the organization to commit to him long term because they were presented as a package deal when they came in three years ago in 2019. They fired Steve Wilkes and they hired Cliff Kingsbury and they had the number one overall pick and it was the worst-kept secret before the draft that they were taking Kyler Murray. It was going to be that Texas Tech style of offense, and Kyler Murray had been playing that going back to his middle school days in Texas. So it seemed like this was something that was natural, that was second nature for Kyler. And the question of what could be on the other side of that if the Cardinals move away from Cliff Kingsbury is enough to give Kyler Murray pause in terms of what his future looks like But if you give him the contract extension, he doesn't have to worry about that. I think that could be at the crux of this dysfunction, this discord between the Cardinals and between Kyler Murray. Yeah, you raise eyebrows because the last two seasons in 2020, they finished the season three and six. In 2021, they finished one and five, right? So I put a lot of that on Cliff Kingsbury and his system and not elevating and innovating as the year goes on. And I put a little bit on Kyler Murray as well. But I – they have to find an identity, but understand week one is not going to be like week eight. Week eight is not going to be like week 13, and you have to innovate and do what's best for the team and what's best for Kyler Murray as well as your quarterback. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think it's easier to figure out your identity when you have a guy like Kyler Murray as your quarterback, I'm just saying. But coming up next, who is most to blame for the stalemate between the owners and the players in Major League Baseball? We'll have the answer. This is ESPN Radio.